Jesus' name, amen. I want to start just referencing the story of the prodigal son in Luke 15. We'll be in Luke 8 in a little bit. But in Luke 15, the story of the prodigal son, one of the best-known stories certainly in all the Bible, and briefly not focusing on that, but just starting as an example. You know, the story is the dad, and he's got a couple sons, and, and one is called the prodigal, and that just means he tells dad, hey, I don't care about you so much. I want your stuff. Would you give me my inheritance, the money that would come to me after your death? So he gives it to him. And when he leaves, he spends his life and his father's income recklessly. That's why we call him a prodigal. That's what that means. But, of course, in a distant country where he has no family and the money's spent, he finds out he has no friends. You know, it says he comes to his senses. He, he repents. His mind changes he heads back home, and Dad is there, of course, on the road looking for Junior's return. So he embraces him, throws his arms around him, and says, my son who is dead is alive again. And so he tells him, hey, put a robe on him, ring on his finger, bells on his toes, or sandals or something. Kill the fattened calf. Dad is so thankful for Junior's return that out of that joyful thankfulness, he throws this extravagant banquet to welcome Junior home. And that's sort of the theme we're going to be in this morning. It's the theme of, of thankfulness and the effect thankfulness has on us related to faithfulness. We're in the 51st message in the Heroes and Villains series this morning. And you remember, we're, we're sort of asking the question, what does Christ-like faithfulness look like? We're seeing that in the lives and the stories of some of the other folks that are in the pages of the Bible positively. And then when we look at the villains, we're seeing some of the things we don't want to aspire to. Uh, last time we looked at this desperate mother, this Gentile woman, you remember, on the coast of the Mediterranean, somewhere between uh, Tyre and Sidon. She wasn't a Jew, but she comes to Jesus for help. And you remember, he puts her off, he puts her off, he insults her, and she cannot be pushed away because her faith is genuine. And so Jesus gives her what she'd asked for. He heals her daughter of being demon-oppressed. This morning, we're looking at a group of women, and the text tells us that one or more of them, like that woman's daughter, had been delivered by Jesus from demonic oppression, and then the group, by and large, had been healed either spiritually or physically, and that's this group of women that we'll read about this morning. And it's in their response to Jesus that we see it's those who've experienced something of Christ's supply, the person's and the work of Christ in their life, in their area of need, that respond with this faithfulness born of thanksgiving. God's done something for me. I've seen something of him I didn't know before. I'm so thankful. Thankfulness helps me with my faithfulness. The main point we want to take away this morning is this, that Christ-like faithfulness, which is, which is the emphasis of the whole series, what, what does Christ's faithfulness in us look like? Christ-like faithfulness thrives in the soil of thankfulness. If we look at our life and we tend to see that we're not faithful as a generality, there's a good chance that we're not very thankful, that thankfulness is a fuel or a fertilizer, if you will, for faithfulness generally. We'll see in the story this morning that spirit of thankfulness engenders faithfulness in the lives of the women we'll look at that we should give faithfully from what we have, whether that's a little or a lot, whatever that looks like. And then last, that God notices and rewards our faithful service, uh, even if others don't, maybe especially when others are unaware or don't. 
guys, I'm just putting this uh, chronologically. You know, we've left the Old Testament uh, some time ago in the lives of the folks we've looked at. So sort of in a timeline lapse, we're in the public ministry years of Jesus between 29 A.D. and 33. And then geographically, on the map on the left, you see Israel proper during Jesus' lifetime. And the different colors there display the different ways the country had been broken up for governance, whether it was a Roman governor or Herod's descendants ruling those various parts. And then in the map on the right, you can see the highlighted area. In Luke 7, which is where we're coming out of, we'll be in Luke 8. Uh, in Luke 7, Jesus is up in the Galilee area, and he's healed a centurion servant there in the city of Capernaum. He's come down to the city of Nain or Nine. He's raised a widow's son. And that's where we're going to pick up right after that. Chapter 7 ends with a, another great story of the sinful woman who wets Jesus' feet. You remember he goes to have a meal with a Pharisee, and the Pharisee shows none of the standard hospitality steps. But this woman comes in, weeps over his feet, dries his feet with her tears. Jesus says she loved much because she'd been forgiven much. And there was that sense of reciprocity that you see in thankfulness this morning She'd already believed in Jesus. Her sins were forgiven. But he said she loved much because she had this sense of, I've been forgiven much. And so love was in that same proportion shown to Jesus. And, and also just worth pointing out Luke's gospel. Uh, Luke highlights the presence and the role of women throughout Jesus' life and ministry in a way Matthew and Mark do not. So we're in Luke 8, three short verses, verses 1 through 8. If you use a pew Bible, this is page 864, and I'm reading from the ESV. So soon afterwards, so after the events, and the last thing being the, the meal at Simon's house, and that lovely story of the gal who cleansed Jesus' feet with her tears and hair, after that he went on through the cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, so the disciples were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Names a few. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. And Joanna, the wife of Cusa, Herod's household manager, so someone from a fairly lofty social family setting. And Susanna and many others who provided for them, Jesus and the disciples, out of their means. So that's the group that we're looking at the women who are with Jesus and are supporting him uh, in his ministry. So Luke takes the time to tell us of this group of women who are traveling with Jesus, and they're providing the financial assistance. Remember, he's just an itinerant guy. He's not supporting himself. And the fishermen, they aren't fishing. You know, they've left their occupations. And so these gals are actually footing the bill as Jesus and the boys are on the road. It says they provided for them out of their means or they served him and the disciples through the finances. Now Luke connects in these two short verses that deal with the women. He connects the fact that these gals had received something from Jesus. They'd received healing, either spiritual or physical. And out of thanksgiving for that, what they would receive, they responded in this faithful support to Jesus. So in the last message, you remember the Gentile woman's daughter is demonized. We said the text doesn't say what that looked like, as it does in some of the other gospel stories. So Mary Magdalene, that's in our story this morning, it says Jesus cast seven demons out of her. So what did it look like to be demonized by seven demons? So, you know, it could have been a number of things, but certainly something of a dark, oppressive 
experience, maybe severe depression, maybe suicidal thoughts. I mean, you go through, it could have had physical implications. The story doesn't say, but certainly some sense of my life is oppressed, my soul is in this dark place, and Jesus set me free from forces I had no control and no authority or power over. So that's Mary, and probably some others in that group as well. And then others were healed physically, and again, the text doesn't tell us, but you see in the gospel accounts, uh, people who couldn't walk are walking, the blind see, the deaf hear, the mute speak. So all of these gals had experienced something from Jesus, spiritual or physically, they'd been healed. Jesus met them in their need, and they are thankful. And Luke connects thankfulness with their response, their faithful response in serving Jesus in the way that they could. And, and that really is the point. Thankfulness is the fuel or the fertilizer, if you will, for faithfulness. Robert Louis Stevenson, and I don't know where he was at spiritually, said this. It's a good reminder. Keep your eyes open to your mercies. The mercies you receive, not your giving, you're receiving mercies. The man who forgets to be thankful has fallen asleep in life. That is, if I find that I'm not very thankful, it's because I'm dull, I'm ignorant, my eyes are not open to the mercies that God has shown me, to the blessings that I have that I simply may not be articulating or conscious of or thoughtful of, thinking over. So how has God blessed me? How have I seen God's mercies? How have I seen God's graces? So I want to look at this in a couple different ways. So I want to articulate this just a little bit. What does it look like for us to think about? So maybe you've been released from demons in the past. I don't know. I don't know very many people who have. Or maybe God has physically, miraculously cured you of something. And if he has, that's great. But for most of us, we don't fall in the category of those gals. So what does it look like for us to think about God's mercies and graces such that it elicits the thankfulness that fuels my faithfulness. That I don't have to work at being faithful. I'm so thankful it's all I can think about. So all of us have what, what uh, reformers called common grace. That is, we woke up this morning. We have existence. That's a gift from God that all humanity shares. Now, some of the things I'm thinking about for us this morning are not necessarily true for everyone in the world, though they're broadly true for us for sure, and certainly most people in the West. We woke up this morning, we've got a new day of opportunities. The day's laid out before us, what are we going to do with it? That's a gift. Every day is a gift. We have homes, we have clothing, we have food, we have health, we're at least healthy enough to be here. Probably some folks aren't, maybe flu season's still going, some people may not be here. But generally, we have health. Guys, we have freedom to meet and to worship and pray. That's not true for everyone around the world. But we can get up and we can gather together this morning fearful of, of nothing. Apart from the responsibilities usually we choose to take on, we're pretty much free to do what we want, come and go as we see fit. That's grace. That's God's grace. All of that is God's mercy. And I love the way uh, in Acts 14, when Paul's preaching to the Gentiles, and he's, he's telling them about, about God and about Christ, and they're confused. They think Paul is a god, and <laughs> Barnabas is a god, his messenger. Uh, but it says, Paul reminds him, he says, God gives us rain and fruitful seasons, delighting our hearts with food and gladness. So for all of us here, absolutely apart 
from being a Christian, all of us have plenty of fuel for thankfulness if we're simply aware, if our eyes are open to the ways, some of the ways at least, God's blessed us. He's rained his mercies down on us every day. Uh, by the way, in Sunday school, again, uh, Brian was quoting from Genesis 8 that God has promised that until he's done with this planet, there's seed time and harvest. There's cold and there's heat. There's summer and there's winter. And you and I can't change that. It's God's common grace to all of us. All of us have enough to be thankful for. Beyond that, though, for Christians, so if Christ is my Savior, if I've experienced Christ as my Savior, my sins are forgiven, Colossians 1, in Christ we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. Guys, if there was nothing else, the forgiveness of your sins is the only thing that matters at the end of the day. I'm reading through Leviticus right now. It's a really stirring, exciting book, Ruth. I, I want to share it with you, Leviticus. It's one of the books we almost never read. But you know, one of the things you realize when you read through there, also elements of Exodus as well, uh, God's made provision for our sin. And so you read about one kind of offering and another so that Israel knew my sins can be covered and forgiven. I don't have to be alienated from God. You know, Leviticus is all about the priests, how to make substitutionary sacrifices for their sins. And that's what we've got ultimately, of course, in Christ. If, if this was all we had, we'd have all we need. That God has covered our sins in Christ. Christ is our redemption. We've been purchased back. Our sins are covered. There's nothing that alienates us from God anymore. If that's all we had, we'd say that's a good day. That's a good life. Because that's entrance back into God's favor relationship with him. On top of that, though, and guys, this is not a full list. This is just some of the things I thought of quickly. We have, as Christians, power over sin like the demons in Mary Magdalene. The power of sin in your life and mine is broken, just as her oppression was broken. Now, I know we all still sin. First John makes that clear. If we say we don't sin, we're lying. We all still sin. But the power of sin that you and I were impotent over before conversion, we have power to say no to sin in ways we never had before. Romans 8 talks about that. We're God's children by new birth and by adoption, so we're sons and daughters of the living God. From alienated foreigners, you're now in God's household. You're his son and you're his daughter through faith in Christ. In other words, you're heirs of God's eternal kingdom. You can't get any higher. Christ is with us every minute of every day by his spirit, Matthew 28. In fact, Ephesians 1 says we've got a, we're sealed as if the Holy Spirit stamps us with himself. Guys, we have God's word and God's promises. You can't overemphasize this, can you, Rick? Read your Bible. That in God's word, you think about the value of God's word. You don't have the gospel apart from God's word. You don't have truth and revelation that changes the, our old thought patterns without God's word. It's God's word that sanctifies us. God's using his word all the time. And if we're in it, we have this liberating influence because of God's word. On top of that, in God's word, we've got God's promises. So if you're trusting God for eternal life, it's because God's made that promise in his scripture. So John 10 or Ephesians 1 or any place else you want to go, that's part of God's promises in God's word. We have that. 
So we can get encouragement, spiritual sustenance every day, all day, because God's gifted us his word. We have power over our spiritual enemy, Matthew 28 and Ephesians 6. Guys, that's no small thing. We take this for granted. But if you were Mary Magdalene, or if you were that Canaanite woman's daughter, you've got an oppressive force in your life and you can't do anything about it. And friends, that's still going on for many, many people in the world today. We take this for granted. This is no small thing. That the enemy, the spiritual enemy of our soul, who's still called the God of this world, who still inhabits and rules over this world, this world system that we live in, that we have authority in Christ, that we don't have to put up with spiritual oppression, that if you were troubled by a demon or someone that you knew was, you have authority in Christ's name to say, get out and stay out. I'm sure there's other people in this room that have seen that same thing. Before Kathy and I got married, I won't go into this too far, but she was being oppressed by a demon. She's a brand new believer. We're on the phone and she says, Mike, it's here again. I'm in Washington. She's in Lawrence, Kansas. I said, honey, go into the room and you say, get out in the name of Jesus. And it did. The shadow that's moving things in her apartment, no one's there, left and didn't come back because there is real spiritual oppression against Christians and against everyone on this earth because we're in God's image. We have authority, we have power over spiritual forces as those in Christ. Remember, we're tallying up just some of the reasons we have to be thankful. We don't have to be bullied by spiritual forces. We have each other. Don't choke on this one, by the way. So <laughs> you may look at me sideways, I may look at you sideways and say, really, is that a reason to be thankful? Depends on the day, right, or how we're doing, or how I'm doing or how you're doing. <laughs> but so 1 Corinthians 12 or 1 Timothy 5, we're brothers and sisters, we're, we're mothers and fathers, relatively speaking to each other in the body of Christ. And guys, that is usually. That's a reason to rejoice and be thankful because we're here to encourage each other. We should encourage each other. That's part of the benefit of being a Christian. We get to participate in acts of service. You know, God doesn't need you and he doesn't need me to do anything. But he pulls us in like the loving father he is. He pulls us into what he's doing and we get to be a part of what God's doing. God's eternal purposes, Ephesians 1.10, being worked out today, that's what you and I are connected to. God's pulled us into his eternal program. We're, we're dummies, right? We're just along for the ride. But from eternity past, God's determined what he's going to do. And then he says, Junior, come with me and this is what you're going to do with me. No small thing. We head to an eternal future in the Lord's presence. You know, I love uh, Revelation 21 and 22. You got a throne, the river of life's coming from the throne. Around the river is the tree of life. Its leaves are for the healing of the nations. Psalm 36 says, rivers of delights in God's presence, fullness of joy, peace forevermore. That's what you're headed to as a Christian. I've said this before. You could have a miserable existence, your life long on the earth, and be blessed, blessed, blessed because you know Christ and you're going to heaven. And it's not clouds and harps. It's, it's joy. It's indescribable. It's Christ face to face. It's pictures you and I can't even think about, can't imagine. That's what we're headed to. Guys, this is on a bad day. We're really, really blessed. You can read passages like Ephesians 1 and 2 or Colossians 1 through 3 to get some sense of the blessings God laid out for us 
as Christians. Now these things are these things, these uncommon mercies or graces, these are only true of Christians. And if you don't know a hundred percent that if you died today, you're in Christ's presence for no other reason than Jesus died for your sins, you can know that today. Je- Jesus is the fulfillment of all the Old Testament sacrifices, all the shadows, he's the substance. He dies on the cross for our sins. I love the image in Colossians. This is one that's significant for me. It says God's charges against you and me were nailed to Jesus' cross. And you've got to see that in your head. So you remember Pilate has the sign put above Jesus on the cross because that's the legal charge against him. King of the Jews. That's the charge. In Colossians, God says it's if God took, before you were born, He wrote every sin you've ever committed and ever will commit. And that was on Christ's cross. And when he died, he died for every charge God might ever bring against you because your sins were covered in Christ's death. That's a good day. We've got much, much to be thankful for. So if you don't know that, we simply embrace with the arms of faith. We say, yes, Lord, I'll take that. (laughs) Jesus, thanks for dying for my sins. It's only true for believers. This is what you find. So bringing this back to being thankful. Our money, our time, and our energies, all our resources, they always, they always follow our heart, and it can't be otherwise. Why do we do the things we do? Because we want the things we want. What is my heart set on? That determines everything I say. It determines everything I do. What I find is when my heart is filled with thankfulness, with gratefulness for God and what he's done for me in Christ, faithfulness is easy. I'm so thankful, I want to be faithful. I don't have to work hard at it. I want to be faithful because it's fueled by thankfulness. If we're not aware of what God does for us, though, you know, if we're in the dull zone where we're not thinking about today's a gift, I'm saved, I'm going to heaven. I have friends, I have family, I have health, one thing or another. If I'm not aware of that, if I take those things for granted, I tend to be less faithful because I'm less grateful, I'm less thankful. Thankfulness fuels faithfulness. Now there's a great phrase, so think about maybe later today on your study sheet you can fill some of these things out, specifically for me. Lord, what am I thankful for? How have you blessed me? What does that look like? What do I need to remind myself of? What does that look like? Oh, you can read this well. So this gravestone, I love this. So Belle Winston died at 47 years old. Now look look at, though, the subscript. A servant of Christ, she did what she could. And I love that last phrase because it's straight out of Mark's gospel, straight out of the scripture. And that's sort of what we're looking at next. It just says she did what she could. I love that as a phrase. And for you and I, thinking of faithfulness in Christ's image, fueled by thankfulness, all we're being called is to do what we could, is to do what we can, is to take the thing God's put in our hand and use that as our faithfulness to him. We just do what we can. Mary Magdalene and Joanna from Luke 8 apparently kept up with Jesus through the rest of his ministry years because you see both of them, the other women may be there, but they're not there by name, in Luke 24 and John 20 at the resurrection of Jesus. And remember, it's Mary Magdalene, it's, she's the first witness to the resurrected Christ in John 20. 
So they stayed with him. You know, they were with him right through to the end. I did want to bring up this passage also from Mark 14. And uh, this is seen in both John 12 as well as Mark 14. Uh, Mark, generally assumed to be Peter's version of the gospel, uh, Mark's is briefer. It's a little less information than John's. John tells us that this is Mary in Mark's story. So not Mary Magdalene, but Mary, the sister of Lazarus and Martha. And listen to this. So in contrast to Luke 7, the gals up north in Galilee, she wets Jesus' feet, wipes them. This is in the last week of Jesus' life. This is down south right before his crucifixion. It says, so a woman, Mark says, we know from John it's Mary, a woman came with a flask of ointment, it's pure nard, it's really expensive. She breaks it, she pours it over Jesus' head. And there were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was this ointment wasted? It should have been sold, we should have used it for the poor. And, and Jesus, uh, they're scolding her, and Jesus says, leave her alone. She's done a beautiful thing to me, and he says, you'll always have the poor. You can always bless the poor, but I'm here on a short term, and I'm not going to be here long physically. You'll not always have me. And then verse 8, she's done what she could. That's the phrase on the gravestone. Mary did what she could. Here I was, and she had this costly ointment, and she broke it, and she poured it out over me. She just did what she could. Mary is grateful. Remember, Mary had seen Jesus raise Lazarus, and Mary and Martha and Lazarus were personal friends of Jesus. They had this affinity. They had this affection for him, not just based on what he'd done for them, but they knew him and they loved him. And she's just here, and she's got what she's got, and she's got no better use for it than to pour it out on Jesus. He says later, well, we'll look at that in a minute. So, so <laughs> Mary, Lazarus, Martha's sister, Mary Magdalene, and Joanna and the others, they just did what they could. They didn't work something up. There was no grand plan. It was just they did what they could. Mary poured out perfume. Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and the others spent their finances on Christ and his followers. Now, this is not a message on giving. Though giving's part of it because that's part of our faithfulness to God. So if I ask you, what's your first response when you think of being thankful for the common and the uncommon mercies and graces of God in your life, What's the first thing that comes to your mind? And this is not a trick question, and I'll just, you don't have to say anything. Uh, for a lot of people, it'll be money. It'll be finances, and finances is not at the top of my list. It's just saying thank you. It's just saying thank you to the Lord. So how are we, are we getting up in the, in the morning or over lunch or supper before we lay our, and lay our heads down and just saying, Lord, thank you. Thanks that I have life. Thanks that I'm saved. Thanks that I have a home. Thanks that I have a family or friends or job or whatever it is. Do we just personally, between us and the Lord, just stop to say thanks? Remember when Jesus heals the ten lepers, one goes back and says thank you, and he says, where are the other nine? Sort of the implication, why aren't they all saying thank you? But that should be true for us, right? We are grace upon grace upon grace. Just as a lifestyle, are we just saying to the Lord, thanks, <laughs> thanks for being my father, thanks for adopting me, thanks for covering my sins, again and again and again, just personally. And guys, then corporately, you know, sometimes we come into a Sunday service and we're saying to ourselves something like this, I'm beat up, 
I'm worn out, I'm depressed, I'm tired. And I'm just looking forward to sitting in there and soaking. Okay? And if that's you this morning, that's okay. That's good. Because sometimes that's us. And that's, that's really us. That's really where we're at. We don't have anything to give. We're just saying, Lord, I just hope I'm encouraged in the service this morning. That's good. But hopefully that's not the norm. So that when we come in, thankful saints who've said thank you at home are coming together to corporately say, thank you, Lord. That whether it's in prayer or Sunday school or it's the words of our lips during worship when we're singing, guys, we should be robust, heartfelt, thankfully declaring God's truth and praises just because he's been faithful and we get to say thank you. Just because we're grateful. Just, Lord, you've done so much. Thank you. Personally, privately, corporately. That should be a given. It's also true of our finances, our time, our energy, and our spiritual gifts. Faithfulness to Christ and faithfulness for Christ in his name and in his cause. That's really the fruit of thankfulness. When Paul's talking about finances primarily in 2 Corinthians 9, and I think this applies broadly to us, so sometimes we just stop in the moment and we say, Lord, thanks. That's good. But broadly, he says, when you're giving, when you're serving in Christ's name, he says, do it generously, thoughtfully, willingly, and cheerfully. It should be a regular part of our life. Thankfulness should be a given, but it should also be generously, thoughtfully, willingly, and cheerfully. Another thing Paul says in that passage is don't worry about what you don't have. Don't worry about what you can't give. That's why I love that phrase, she did what she could. It's just whatever God's given you by way of serving him, that's what you serve him with. And he'll credit that. We'll look at that next. But we don't worry about what we can't give. Lord, I wish I could write this big a check or I could do this kind of service. We, we give what we can. We did what we could. That's the thought. And guys, that'll change at different stages of life. Time, energy, finances, all of that varies with your circumstances in life. It'll change over time. Spiritual gifts, you know, that's one of the key ways that we serve each other in Christ's name, spiritual gifts. So all of those things, if we're fueled by thankfulness, faithfulness in all these arenas becomes a given. Now, <clears throat> when, when Luke 8 starts, he tells us, okay, here's Jesus, here's the disciples, and here's this, this group of supporting women. But he, he's going into a crowd. How many people in the crowd knew that little cadre of women? They're just part of the crowd now. How many knew that those gals were funding Jesus' ministry, that they were paying for his room and board, so to speak, for him and the disciples? How many of those people knew? Probably none. <laughs> Probably none. That made no impact. It had no effect, though, on what the ladies were doing. So Luke includes two verses, guys, that don't, they don't have anything to do with the rest of the story. L listen to this without the two verses about the women. Luke 8, 1, soon afterward, Jesus went on through the cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him. And when a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed. The story does not need those two verses, verses 2 and 3. It does nothing to advance the story. So why is it there? Because God noticed what these gals did. And he wants you to notice and he wants me to notice too. This doesn't advance the story one bit. Because Jesus is just going through Galilee, 
And now he's in a crowd, and now he's saying this. God noticed what they were doing, and God calls it out. And God points it out for their benefit to honor them and also to encourage us. doesn't need to be there, but there it is because God says, I notice, I know. If we serve the Lord only when we think the gift is immense or the service is somehow really broad, then we'll probably very, very seldom offer God what we could otherwise. And this is the thing. It's not the amount of our giving. It's not the breadth of our impact of our service, large or small. The primary thing is the heart for Christ-like faithfulness born of thankfulness. So here's two examples. In Mark 12, when Jesus is at the temple, he points out the widow that puts in two pennies. Now, no one else, I'm sure, noticed this gal. She puts in very little. I mean, you'd say it's like she put a nickel in the offering plate or a dime in the offering plate, and others are putting in much more. She's the only one Jesus calls out. And he says she put in more than everyone else because she put in all she had. They put in out of their excess. She put in all she had. It's a little bit she had to give, but the little bit is noticed by Christ. It's what he points out. But you get back to Mark 14 again when Mary anoints Jesus' head with that perfume. Listen to this. Wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. This is a gal whose act of faithful thankfulness was castigated by the people who saw her do it. And Jesus says, well, actually, I'm going to record her in my eternal word. I'm going to call her out and praise her because she did what she could to worship me, to praise me, to bless me. He said, she's done a beautiful thing to me or for me. And now Mary's been in Scripture for 2,000 years in God's eternal word because God knew, because God noticed and God wanted to honor her and encourage us, whether it's a little two, two pennies or if it's an alabaster expensive perfume, it's the heart of gratitude, giving God those gifts. That's the thing. And he knows. And the other thing about that is this. He rewards you for that. Is this crazy? Uh, the stuff you have, life and breath, it's a gift from God. If you, if you make a fortune on earth, it's only because God's given you the acumen and the ability and the insight and the favor to do it. Which is to say, you and I have nothing that God hasn't given us. So God gives us stuff, and then we use his stuff for his stuff, and then he turns around and blesses us for it, using his stuff to do his stuff. It's like crazy. That's how good and kind and generous our God is. You can't lose in faithfulness to God with using the stuff. And this, is, this isn't just money. This isn't just stuff. It's your time. It's your energy. It's your prayer. It's your encouragement to others. It's anything and everything. God will reward you for it. You know, the older brother uh, in the prodigal story ends up being the point of the story, isn't he? The older brother's the point of the story, not the prodigal. So the older brother in Jesus' story, he can't celebrate with his father and his brother because he's not thankful. He doesn't like his brother. And what you see is this. The prodigal who didn't value his dad initially does later. And that's why he runs home. But the older brother, he's not prodigal in the same sense, 
but he's like a religious legalist. He has no appreciation for his father or his father's things. So if the older brother just loved his father, he'd be delighted in his brother's return because dad is happy. He'd love his brother because dad loves that brother. But this guy's a legalist, and that's the language he uses when he interacts with his father. So while the, the joy of the father and the thankfulness of the father throws this lavish, extravagant feast, older brother is left out in the cold because he can't come in because he's not thankful. He has no thanks, and he has no love, and he's just left out. When the truth is, if he'd, if he'd loved his father, if he was just thankful for something that made his father glad, he could have joined in. He'd have had a great time, but he's left out in the cold. You know, for you and I, we have so much to be thankful for. And when we see what God does in somebody else's life, we should rejoice with them because God's delighting in his own work. And when you and I, when we offend each other, we need to remember that that other person offending me is God's child. God loves them the same way he loves me. I can't afford to be embittered against them. I can't afford to have malice or hatred towards them because that's my father's child. He couldn't be thankful and he couldn't rejoice. He was left out in the cold because he wasn't thankful and he had no love. We don't want to be in that un unhappy group. So are we thankful for God's mercies? This is just adding them up, right? God, thank you for do we love our Father and love our Savior? If we do, then we're excited about participating in what they're doing. Do we love those our Father and our Savior loves? That's tougher, but we can do that too. The fruit of the Spirit is, in other things, love. If we do, Christ-like faithfulness born of thanksgiving is not difficult. It's easy. It simply becomes the pattern of your life. Let me pray, and then we'll stand and read together as the worship team comes up. Father, would you engender more of the life and faithfulness of Jesus in us simply because we can see and we can be grateful and thankful for the thousands of ways each day you multiply your blessings, your mercies, and your graces on us. Lord, help us to live thankful, faithful lives. Help us to look a little bit like those dear women in Luke 8 who did what they could. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, can we go back to that last uh, PowerPoint, guys? Yep, need the PowerPoint. Last, last one on there. Psalm, you don't have it? You can't get it or you can't see it? I'm sorry? Oh, okay. Can you open it? <laughs> we'll stand. Go ahead and stand anyway and stretch. Yeah, just open it again. We're good. Yeah, I taught short today, Nicholas, to make up for this delay. So we're in good shape. We'll get there. This is a Psalm 107. There you go. We're thankful for PowerPoint. And let's read this together. Thank you, sir. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, 
from the north and from the south. Amen.